1: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Get a financial fresh start. to book that free consultation and to find an office near you. We've got Sophie Salcido on the line with us. She's a wealth advisor at Van City with 20 years of experience providing financial advice. She loves what she does and you're going to hear that as we talk about this very, very important topic, children and money. Uh, I know that I make judgments all the time when I see kids with their money or I see their parents and go, how are they ever going to teach their kids how to deal with money if the parents are so bad at it? And uh, so we're going to cover a whole bunch of topics within, sort of within that realm with Sophie. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start right off the top. Why do you think it's so important to teach children about money?
2: Well, I just think it's the most important topic that I can talk about. And it's actually for me a real personal cause. So number one reason really is that Financial skills and learning about money and how to use it well, it's the foundation for your life. So it's going to set the trend for your financial skills for the rest of your life. And in fact, if most of us think back, many of our, many if not most of our habits and attitudes about money, where were they formed? They were formed likely in childhood. So it's super important.
1: Absolutely. Boy, oh, boy. I can just think of the, my, hear my dad's voice in the back of my head, right? Yeah,
3: around the kitchen table, all the exactly. discussions, right? Put that yeah. money
1: aside. Make sure you save 10%, all of that stuff. It's not Why what is you
3: make. It? It's what you save. I Ex- remember my dad saying that again and again. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Why is it so personal for you, Sophie? Well, I think I did get
2: some good money habits. I've I've um done a lot of good things. I didn't I was always a saver. I bought my first condo in the early 90s when I was 24 um with my own money. And so and I know a lot of that came about because I had some lessons early on that maybe weren't the best use of financial skills and money. And for some reason it just taught me to do the opposite, to create my own security. And so a lot of that came I just built those skills inside me to create that for myself.
1: Wow. Excellent. So let's talk about the ways that that parents can start incorporating good financial lessons uh, into parenting and with their kids and how to figure that out. Where do yeah. they start?
2: Yep. Yeah. so the first the first lesson, um, I'll give you a couple here for younger children, and then we can go into a couple for teens. Yes. But the very first thing to start with, and I think it was just mentioned, in one of our quick little comments here, was talking, tell your financial stories. You need to talk to the children and talk to your spouse and have the children, even within earshot, talking about your financial stories and your histories. So if someone's laid off from work, you must not hide that from the child. It has to be told in a manner that they can handle. But that needs to be discussed. These are the best lessons. So you've got to tell them what you did right or your family did right and what you did wrong. And they're going to learn that way.
1: That's so interesting because it's so counterintuitive, right? We tend to shield uh, children and, and we were shielded as children, I think, or at least I know I was from anything bad. Yeah, well, but and that's, and that's the
2: problem actually, isn't it? Because I've equated it now to looking back to our Depression era generation, who I loved those guys, those ladies and men who saved so hard and paid their homes off. And why do you think they did it? Why did they save the elastic bands? Because around the table, when they were little, they were told, don't waste anything. Yeah. Dad's out of a job. Mom's, mom has to stay home now. Whatever it was. And they had a lesson young and it carried them through their life.
3: Yeah, I think you're making a great point, Sophie. Uh, sorry, part of me uh, you're making making a great point, um, Sophie, just about how families should talk about money. And I see it, um, you know, definitely with couples, where sometimes one member of the couple, and it's quite often the male member, but not always, but they take all of the responsibility, all of the decisions, and the female member or the other spouse, um, you know, if something happens to that person who's made all the decisions, they just don't know where to turn. You know, it yeah. can be very, very disorienting.
2: Yeah. And so I encourage my clients to make sure both spouses are coming in because I, I've i seen it time and time again where one person is left. And, and like you said, the most important thing is who are you going to call? Who's going to be there to help you?
1: I know you've got a couple for young children that we should be telling. Yeah, go.
2: So the next one would be uh, very simple, but just um, bring them with you grocery shopping and have little talks here and there about what's the best price today for this product or why do we pay more? Is the quality better? Is it it okay to buy the lesser cost product? So that's important. Um, A couple for teens. Number one there would probably be about um, getting them to learn how to budget. So if you're going to give them an allowance or an amount of money for back-to-school shopping, just stick to that amount and really teach them how they've got to make choices to stick within that limited amount because that's how we all live, isn't it? We all have a limit month to month. You have to learn how to live with that. And um, even something simple like um, make them responsible for their cell phone bill. So make them pay that and, and they're going to maybe have to have a small job to pay that off, but maybe they'll learn the diligence about being, being wise about how they spend that money on that bill.
1: Unfortunately, I think Sophie, they're going to end up being the only kid in their group that's uh, having to do that, right? Because that's just not the norm today.
2: It's not, and so as a parent, I'm a parent too, right? You have to you have to learn to not care about that, don't you? At the end of the day, what I say to myself, because I've been doing this job for 20 years, I've watched a lot of people walk through my door, and my mandate with, with my own child is, I don't want her home. At thirty in my basement, I really don't. And so, I, my job is to teach her the skills to get her out there, so she can stand on her own two feet. Hopefully, obviously, there may be extenuating circumstances, but that's just my overall goal.
1: That's a good goal. The other thing I think of too, you know, and I mentioned it as we when we started this, is that sometimes the parents aren't so good with money, and so the idea of having to pass along some good ideas or some helpful advice to their kids—they're yeah. just dumbstruck like they don't have a clue where to start.
2: Yeah, and I totally understand that. If you don't have anybody around you or just didn't have the opportunity to learn that, then that's where you're coming to see someone like myself to get those skills and get that help. And I would say bring your children in to some of your financial appointments. I've had clients bring their young children into my investment appointments where we're talking about the stocks and the bonds, et cetera. And I would would also say there's nothing wrong with bringing them in for part of the meeting. Maybe you don't want them to know exactly how much money is available in the family, for instance. So just bring them in for half the meeting and then they can go sit in another area of the and wait for you outside the meeting. But but again, a couple of things are happening there. They're learning your stories and number two, they're learning to be comfortable coming into our environment. How often have I heard that people are intimidated walking into their bank, their credit union to talk to somebody and that should not be the way we're here to help you.
3: Yeah, Sophie, I think you're hitting on such a great point there um, because, you know, it breeds familiarity, right? You know, being in that environment and it gives you confidence as well, um, because I think a lot of people grow up in a household where it's not polite to talk about money. um, And then they sometimes think, okay, well, I'm when I'm dealing with the bank, I need to be very polite, which means I'm not going to advocate for my interests. I'm going to take what's put in front of me. I'm not going to shop around because that's the polite way to do it. And, you know, people take nothing else away here. It's, you know, that time for politeness is gone. You've got to be in the driver's seat of your own financial future.
2: Yeah, you definitely have to know what questions to ask, and exactly, put yourself, that's a very great point, advocating for yourself and getting the best advice, and that's where you can go to a few, couple of people to get a couple of opinions and advice, too.
1: One of the things I was thinking about, Sophie, you're so smart around money and you've been smart around it for a really long time. Um, It's not always the easiest thing to do in terms of adopting a new thought process around mm -hmm, money, right? mm Yeah, that's right. And the idea of being a good financial role model, um, there's got to be, what, three or four or five things that if you're wanting to change, because I I believe it's never too late to change, that somebody could take this this new position on and be smart about it.
2: Yeah, and so uh, things I talk about with clients and, and people I meet are what's going to motivate you. I've done so many financial plans for people where I, the outcomes are great. You know, if they follow this, if they follow A, B, C, D, they're going to get to E. But it doesn't happen a lot. And it doesn't happen because they're not motivated to make that change. And so I always tell people, you've got to dig a little deep and find out what is going to motivate you. So And that's what you've got to put at your forefront. If I do A, and I'm diligent about saving this money, it's helping me get to B. And B is where you got to go.
1: So that would be a good thing to take on as a role model for your kids, right? Yep,
2: yep. Teaching them the, those those tactics too. Yep.
1: And now I understand why you think uh, having your having your teenager pay their own cell phone bill is mm-hmm. a good idea. <laughs>
2: It's, if you don't teach them then when are you going to teach them mm-hmm. you don't want to be paying the phone bill forever
1: <laughs> Exactly I hear you I hear yeah. you loud and clear yeah. what are the most challenging areas that you've found for uh, for parents to start to talk to their kids and train their children better in the in financial financial decisions?
2: Well, I think you touched on it slightly. And as parents, we want to help. We want to pick them up when they fall and and help them as much as we can and get them that good start. And we've just got to be so careful we don't go overboard. So if you loan your child, I do this with my own daughter. I'm not afraid to say it. If I loan her some money because we're out and she wants to buy a book or something, it's whatever number, number of dollars, I'm really conscious about going home and that day or whenever it is, making sure I ask for that money back. That's a really important lesson isn't it? We -hmm. have to pay the money back we borrow most people.
1: You do in the real world.
3: Yeah, no no free money.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no free money, and it's just a small habit, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, I can put the money where I want. I can put it back into a bank account for her or whatever, but it's just the habit, right? Teaching those habits young are so, it's so much easier when they're young.
1: I remember being very resentful of uh, those kinds of lessons that my father would try to teach me, <laughs> right? I mean, and, and, and I yeah. can see that as being something that's going to happen today as well, because it seems we bend over backwards to help our kids or to give our kids as much as we possibly can.
2: And, and I think the other side then, let's say instead of that, if you're having difficulty with that, then the other step is to just help them get a job. Now my daughter's um, been cat So someone asked me, hey, could you watch our cat for us while we're away? And I said, I took a minute to think, and I thought, well, yeah, I could. But can I just have my daughter? Because she can walk the block now to go up there and do it. So she's been mm-hmm. doing it. So find the job to empower them then to, to set you free, let's say, set the parrot free from that a little bit, and get them empowered to get that money in themselves that you can then help them figure out how to budget and put towards things for them.
1: Yeah, and I think empowerment is such is just such a great word to use in this situation because in this day and age, we get bombarded with so much stuff that feeling empowered is difficult regardless of how old you are uh, when it comes especially to money things.
2: Well, and it's also about teaching them about the needs versus the wants, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They have to learn to understand you, you shouldn't need or you shouldn't want everything you see advertised or what your friends all have. You've got to you've got to think for yourself what's the best course of action for you in the long term. And that's hard. I know that's hard to teach them. But just be aware of it so you can try when the little lessons come up. You can reinforce some things that are important.
1: Now, we're just winding up. We've got about a minute left. Resources that you think, uh, after listening to this discussion, where I could go to get more information.
2: Yeah, I'm going to give you um, one website link. I've looked at it myself for quite a lot of time, and I love it because it's just really simple. So it's great, simple ideas, and it's called 360 Degrees of Financial Literacy. And it's just a nice tool. You're going to go in there. You're going to see topics for tweens and teens, uh, student debt, all sorts of things. It's a really good one.
1: And I think student debt, thank you for just even mentioning that because that's the next step, right? Yeah exactly for, for kids today to to know that they've got to get another to get more education uh and the cost that's connected with that is enormous. Yeah, we need a plan for that, exactly. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Sophie. We've been talking with Sophie Salcido, who's a wealth advisor at Van City, over 20 years' experience providing financial advice. If you'd like more information about Sophie or to try to get a hold of her, easy to do. Vancity.com is the website, and uh, there's just so much good information out there. Thank you so much again, Sophie. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates helping you get out of debt. And there's a couple of ways that uh, somebody who's in debt can... Get out of debt. Uh, we talk about these uh, pieces on the show a lot, but boy, oh boy, it's such good information for you. Uh, maybe you're hearing it for the very first time, or you know of somebody in your life that is experiencing this. Let's talk about the two big pieces, or 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 bankruptcy and a consumer proposal. That's the those are the two things that somebody can look at. Let's let's talk about them, Blair. Yeah. Um, the differences between the consumer proposal and bankruptcy. What What is it?
3: Yes, there's huge differences. And, you know, right off the top of the lane, most people, or maybe not most now, but a lot of people still have no idea what a consumer proposal is. So, you know, my job title used to be trustee in bankruptcy, and then it changed this year to licensed insolvency trustee to really explain to everyone that trustees do so much more than bankruptcy, and the so much more is the consumer proposal. We're going to go through in a bunch of detail there, but essentially where bankruptcy is you throwing up up your hands and saying, you know what, I need a fresh start. I can't afford to repay, you know, even a portion of the debt. The debt's so out of control or my income is so low, I need to get some relief. That's a bankruptcy. A consumer proposal is meant to be a compromise. It's meant to be a deal between you and the people that you owe money to, where you say to the people that you owe money to, I don't want to go into bankruptcy, but I can't afford to pay you guys back everything and definitely not everything plus interest. So let's come to some deal. So usually in a consumer proposal, you're negotiating to pay back just part of the debt, not the full amount. And that's your alternative that allows you to avoid a bankruptcy. So let's go through Atlantic, we have a few different criteria, we'll talk yeah. about each of them. And I'll explain how a bankruptcy and a proposal are, are different.
1: Sure. So first of all, let's talk about I owe a bunch of debt. Mm-hmm. If I do a consumer proposal, because you say automatically, you just mm-hmm. mentioned, I'm going to be end up paying less of my debt back. Let's talk about specifics on that. What kind of reduction do we look at?
3: Yeah, so if it's a cons- consumer proposal uh, you know the guiding point in a consumer proposal is what can you realistically legitimately be able to pay back okay if you've got a house with no mortgage worth a million dollars and you got twenty thousand dollars in consumer debt you legitimately can afford to pay back that twenty thousand dollars if you did a consumer proposal you couldn't reduce the total amount but yeah you could do it with no interest to pay off that reduced balance so still there would be some benefit now do I see many of those clients No. the vast majority of clients that I see they've got very Very few assets, definitely assets that are less than the amount of the debts that they hold. And the way a proposal works is we look at if that person went into bankruptcy, would any of those assets have to get sold? Usually the answer is no. If they've got a house, there's usually a mortgage that's got almost all of their equity tied up. If there's a car, there's usually a car loan. So most of the time in a proposal, we're looking at reducing the debt by up to 80%
1: which is huge. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine 80% of that gone yep. and 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 you negotiate that. You work that out for
3: them. Yeah, you know, real numbers here. If someone owed $50,000, potentially you could do a consumer proposal in the range of $10 to $15,000, no interest, no additional fees on top of it, and you don't have to go into bankruptcy. Those type of numbers happen every day.
1: So how does it how do you how do how is oh, it <laughs> It's crazy, right? Yeah. It is. It's crazy. <laughs> what about the no interest thing? That sounds unbelievable.
3: Yeah, and that's all set by law. So, you know, everything when I do a consumer proposal, I show to the creditors a sheet that's got two columns on it. One column shows a bankruptcy and bankruptcy. Everything is governed by law. And it says exactly what will happen to assets and how much has to get paid in. And at the end of the day, there's going to be either some small recovery on the debts or maybe a zero recovery. And a bankruptcy is any individual's right in Canada. Nobody can get rejected. You have the right to get a fresh start on your debts and your creditors have to accept maybe zero recovery or maybe some small recovery. So I show Show them one column of very bad news, and I show them another column of better news saying, here's the consumer proposal. Here's this person who is willing to pay more than if they went into a bankruptcy for the benefits of not going bankrupt for them, preserving their credit. And, you know, some people just feel a lot better not having to go through a bankruptcy, obviously. So there's a benefit to the individual. And the benefit to the person who is owed money is they actually get something rather than nothing. Right. So more is better than less.
1: More is better than less. And they're getting more of the principal than that interest, that awful interest that we all see on our our things, which I think is... Boy, oh boy, just such, it was mind blowing when I first heard
3: that. Yeah, well, it's, it's a moving target every month that moves farther away from you. So, yeah. you know, in a consumer proposal, we stop that. We say, you know, if you owed 50, let's get that down to something reasonable. Again, probably 10 to 15. And what's reasonable is that you don't pay any further interest. And that's exactly what's in the law. So if you're negotiating to pay back, you know, call it 12000 on 50, something like that. The trustee gets paid out of that. There's no additional charges. There's no additional interest. Again, you're always. Calling Cautious about if something sounds to be too good to be true, it might not be. This actually is.
1: It is. So let's talk about the length of time because that's where it doesn't happen overnight. Right. In either situation.
3: Yeah, so some people have an idea you'll walk into the bankruptcy trustee's office, you'll sign a bunch of documents, and you'll walk out without your debt. It doesn't happen in Canada. No. No, so you going in, into bankruptcy you know typically it takes um, you know a number of meetings with the trustee probably a couple two three meetings to make sure we got all the details right but the actual bankruptcy proceeding takes a minimum of nine months so it's not six seven years like most people think but it's at least nine months and quite often it's a year and nine months it's 21 months in total okay and that's only dependent on your income if you're low income you're nine months if you're not low income you're a year plus nine months
1: now okay. did you give me the total for the consumer proposal no, I'm, yet I'm the about period? to do
3: that okay good yeah now, the way a consumer proposal works is a consumer proposal, essentially, you could finish as quick as you're able to, okay? So, if we decided, or if we worked out with you, you're able to pay back, you know, ten or $12,000 on $50,000 of debt, the longest time you can take to pay that back would be over five years or over 60 months. So, you could pay that $200 a month for 60 months, and you've dealt with your $50,000 of debt for $200 a month. You can imagine the minimum payments, you would be asked for that, but the proposal would only be $200.
1: Okay, that's an option, or you know, if I wanted to pay more.
3: Yeah, or if you get a job, you know, a lot of the time, or get a you know a second job or something, a lot of the time, as soon as we're able to remove the debt stress, people are suddenly able to earn more money and, you know, do better things with their finances. So you can make extra payments at any time as soon as you pay off that balance. And it's really important, you're going to come for two counseling sessions. But as soon as you do those two things, pay off the balance and come for counseling, you're finished in the proposal.
1: Okay, and I always want to include this. What do you end up getting? What is Sands & Associates? How much do I pay? you mm-hmm. for this amazing opportunity to deal with my debt.
3: Yeah, and, and that's the best part. So we're all independent officers of the court. So everything that you pay into the proposal, it goes into a trust account, and the trustee retains roughly 20% of what you pay in. So if you're paying back 10000 the trustee might keep 2000 of that. But the important thing to note is you don't pay that separately at all. If we figure out that you're able to pay back $10,000, your creditors essentially are going to pay the cost of the trustee. You're going to pay $10,000 in to trust, your creditors are going to get the portion after the trustee fees are paid. So there's no upfront cost to you doing a consumer proposal. There's no massive amount of payments you need to make to the trustee. Typically, if we work out the proposal, it's going to be two or $300 a month, which is very typical. You'll make that payment once. We'll send the proposal out for voting, and then you just continue making the payments once it's approved. Nothing separate you're ever charged.
1: Okay. Uh, and now you talked about the creditors, and how, do they, how does that work? How do they come to an agreement? Can we cover that? Oh, we absolutely can. So
3: we've got more power than anybody here in a consumer proposal. And what I love is that we don't need everybody to agree. So if you owe a bunch of people money and one of them is yelling and screaming, saying that they're going to sue you and no way will they ever accept 20% repayment, as long as we get 50% of your other creditors to say yes, so 50% by dollar value, it doesn't matter what the other creditor says. It's legally binding on everybody. That includes the government. So you can imagine how happy some people are when we can say, yeah, we can force Revenue Canada to take this settlement. Exactly. If your other creditors want it, Revenue Canada has to come along for the ride.
1: And in a bankruptcy situation?
3: In a bankruptcy situation, there's no consent required. It's basically you file a bankruptcy, the creditors have to accept what's, what's been done.
1: And can we... Can we cover the, how does that affect my credit rating?
3: That's definitely going to be a separate segment for us. You know, a bankruptcy is going to last for about six years after you're finished a proposal, about two or three years after you're finished. But under both, you can reestablish your credit very quickly. You know, usually it's a couple years after filing. You'll be in better shape than when you started.
1: Excellent. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. If you're thinking that this information is good, that it pertains to you, that you want to make some changes, you want to tackle your debt that's been gnawing at you, you, check out the website for Sands & Associates, sands-trustee.com. That's the website. You can book your free consultation with one of the experts and start living that debt-free life. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Our guest this time, Barb Wallach. Uh, I'll give you her website, www.barbwallach.com. Barb's got about 33 years uh, experience in the financial industry. She was a personal financial planner. She's also a certified NLP coach, uh, practitioner, hypnotherapist. She offers holistic financial planning, which encompasses uh, things like money mindset and the mechanical financial planning processes of crunching numbers and saving, as well as will- and estate planning. Lots and lots of good information from Barb we are going to get. This specific uh, segment is about financial challenges for young families. Barb, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me, Elaine Blair. So I guess the, the first thing
1: that comes to my mind is you know, raising a family—we know that it changes on an on a uh, not a daily basis, but gosh, there's there's things that that families are concerned about today that weren't uh, they weren't they didn't used to be concerned about. Let's talk about how things, how different things are today.
4: Well, you know that is a very interesting question, actually, and I did put that out to a group I'm involved in, and, and uh, it's smart Mo- smart money for moms. It's a local Facebook group where we share a lot of different savings tips and uh, financial advice and things like that. And so I got a lot of information back. And, and a lot of that was that everything has gone up in price, but wages haven't gone up, gone up in price. So daycare today is almost like a mortgage payment. So... A lot of people came back to me and said they're paying up to $4,500 a month with mortgage and daycare costs.
1: That's crazy, right? I know in my own family, I've got somebody who's paying um, close to $3,000 a month for daycare for, for two children. That's that's just something that uh, parents in the past never even had to think about.
4: No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You yeah, know, so after-tax
3: dollars as well, so you've got to earn a lot. You probably earn 5000 to pay that 3000 So, yeah, that's very significant.
4: Very, mm-hmm. very. So, you know, what's causing, you know, what's happening there now is there's actually a lot, some of the comments that came up where people are staying in uh, relationships and marriages that they shouldn't really be staying in only because they feel financially bound, which isn't creating uh, a good environment for the children to grow up in.
1: No, it's very challenging, but it is. It can be cheaper to stay together than it is to think about, uh, oh, I don't know, alimony or sharing costs or housing costs for two people.
4: I don't. I wouldn't. I can't imagine how. You know, I can't imagine how they're doing it. I can't imagine how my sixteen-year-old daughter is going to be able to afford to, you know, purchase a house or a condo or. It's just mind-blowing to think what's going on in the world today. There is a lady who said that she's doing a job that her mom did 25 years ago, same company, for the same wage.
3: Wow. That's crazy. Hmm. And 25 years ago, that wage went a lot further than it does today. Exactly. Um, you know, I was just thinking, Barb, as you were speaking, you know, what's different too is a lot of things that used to be free, we pay for now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like a, a cell phone. Well, you know, you used to have a landline at home your parents paid for. It. Now, just about everybody in the family typically ha- has a cell phone, or at least there's one or two for there. Um, you know, things like bottled water, it would have been absurd that you'd be buying bottles of water, but pe- people do that. If you think of even monthly subscriptions, you know, like a Spotify or a Google Music or mm-hmm. different things like that, there's just a lot, dif- a lot yeah. of wild and wonderful ways to spend your money that just didn't exist a generation ago.
4: No, exactly. Not to mention the internet, the computers, uh, TV cables. There's what, how many TVs in your house?
3: <laughs> yeah, for just for my wife and I, there's two easy, right? Mm-hmm. So you imagine a family, yeah.
4: No, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. cost of goods have gone up. And, and another main point that came up in this discussion was that the lifespan of a fridge or a stove or a washer or a dryer, or a baby stroller for that matter, they don't last anymore.
1: That's a really good point, right?
4: So we're recycling, not only filling um, our landfills, but we're having to put out $2,000 every seven years, maybe? I know yeah. I have.
1: Yeah, no, manufacturers figured out that it's it's much more lucrative to have mm-hmm. something that breaks down than something that's going to last for 30 years, like our parents or grandparents did.
4: Yeah. And another, I think another key point to bring up too, and I know we're talking about, you know, what the differences are and they're all coming up as challenges and problems, but they're so real and it's so overwhelming and stressful for these young families. And one of them is that, you know, parents are driving their kids from sport to sport or supervised activity nowadays, which costs not only a lot of money for the equipment, for the gas, Um, But it also costs, and that's because kids aren't just going out and riding around the neighborhood and creating their own fun anymore Mm. because, you know, parents don't feel safe.
1: Yeah, lots of changes for sure.
4: A lot of changes. Okay, so we outlined
1: all the the bad news. (laughs) What are some of the things that parents of young kids can do to, I don't know, get ahead or deal with this a little bit better than they have been?
4: Well... Number one, I believe, is to, you know, not try to keep up with the Kardashians, (laughs) let alone the Joneses, (laughs) but to really decide what you value most as a family unit, what's important and what can you shave off. So there's two things you can do. You can either increase your income or you can decrease your expenses. So where can you tighten up the expenses, what is really needed versus what's not needed. Can you do um, clothing exchanges? I know when I had my daughter at six, you know, she's 16 and a half now. I had clothes for almost a whole year that were hand-me-downs.
1: And not everybody would necessarily think of that right off the bat.
4: No. You know, you're excited, you're, you're pregnant, you're a new mom or a new family, you want to have all the nice shiny things. But at the end of the day, what's more important... You know, having money in the bank and feeling relaxed around your financial situation or being stressed out because you're, you're putting money out for all the things that really... Is it really
3: necessary? Yeah, Barb, I think that's so interesting because I have a a lot of clients who, when we go through bankruptcy or a proposal, they do counseling. Um, And it's so interesting to me on the second counseling sessions, that's about six months into the process, um, I have the discussion again and again that they've sat down as a family and they've actually figured out, well, the things that make us happiest are typically the things that don't cost money. So, you know, it's spending time together, it's going for a walk, it's being out in nature. And what a lot of folks have told me is when all this stress of money and payments is going on, they just can't even think about, you know, just going out and just calming down and shutting off. Um, but if you can actually just consciously change the frame of reference a little bit and say, well, this is what makes us happy. It doesn't have to cost money. Um, you know, that can be a learning as a family also.
4: No, exactly. And, you know, that is the specialty that I actually work in as an NLP coach is working around, you know, why are we programmed the way we're programmed and how can we basically reprogram ourselves so that we see what it is that's really important, not what society has programmed, us to believe that we have to be keeping up to those standards that we have to keep up to mm-hmm. like whose, whose, whose rules are those yep. you but, know so you know again another thing too is you know you got to make compromises save in advance if you know if, especially if you're a young, fat, young couple and you know you want to have children create a, a baby savings account so that when you do have your child you have some money in the bank
1: that's a great idea
4: I and try I, and live on, say, $600 less a month prior to having a baby. See how that feels.
1: Let's talk about some of the, uh, because we already have started this, financial planning components uh, as the question that young families should consider. Because there are very, very specific things uh, besides setting up a a savings account, for example, which is a good idea. But the other stuff that we kind of have to have or feel like we have to have as a family. Like insurance, for example. Oh,
4: okay. Sorry. I wasn't sure where you were yeah, going with that. Yeah, sorry. Well, <laughs> I'm like, okay, where's the question? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough, Barb. No. Fair enough. So, again, the most important thing is creating a very solid foundation so you can sleep at night. So, number one is have your will and estate plan in place. Wills, power of attorneys, enduring power of attorneys, so that you're protected should something bad happen. And it doesn't have to be expensive to have a well. I, I represent Legal Shield, and it's a way to have all that done for you for a little monthly cost, a low monthly cost. Also, the second thing is to have insurance. The younger you are, the healthier you, healthier you are, the lower the premium is going to be.
3: And just just pausing there for that second, Barb, because I see a lot of folks, you know, they think they have insurance, but there's obviously different products of it. So, you know, a creditor balance protection insurance, you know, I'm usually pretty negative on that because it usually mm-hmm. does, doesn't does pay out and, you know, that doesn't help your loved ones. What are the type of insurance products that, you know, a family specifically should be looking for?
4: I would recommend if if there's debt, for sure, you could go with one of the least expensive insurance to have is term insurance mm-hmm. in 20-year 30-year insurance. Again, each situation um, is different, but that is the least costly way to get insurance. And you own the policy. It's underwritten right at the application stage, not after an event may have had happened. And then critical illness or some form of disability insurance, if you don't have it through work, or you may need to top up what you might have at work. Because I've got many friends, young Friends who have come down with diabetes, cancer, you know, certain things that have come up in their life, and they have to focus on getting healthy, and they can't work. Mm-hmm. And that's a really quick way to deplete any savings that you do have.
3: And for those who aren't familiar, how is critical illness insurance structured? So if you, if you become ill, what's it like to collect on that?
4: Uh, depending on what the illness is, usually there's about 25 il- illnesses that are covered. Again, each carrier is a, is a little bit different, but if, if you, what you do is, you know, say you're diagnosed with cancer, you have to prove that with a doctor's no report, get sent to the insurance company, and you get a check right up front. Right. So, for example, I have a client who had breast cancer, and she forgot about her critical illness, and I said, y- you've got critical illness, let me help you through this. And so she, she did everything we, that she needed, and she got a check for $30,000 in the mail.
3: Wow. So you can imagine that would <clears laughs> make things a lot easier, given a tough situation.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: is that taxable, Barb, or is Barbara? No, just, it's not taxable. Right. So that, that's very positive. So that's all, all right. that money goes straight to the person.
4: Exactly. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the plans now, you can add a rider on there where your, your premiums that you pay every month, if you don't use the policy at a certain point in time, you can cash in on those and get those premiums back. Barb,
1: what kind of financial or tax benefits are available specifically for families that you've been able to help folks with to make sure that they've got in place?
4: Um, I would want them to take advantage, and again, you'd probably want to work with an accountant to make sure you're taking advantage of any, you know, child tax credits that you have available, um, the, the dependent deduction, things like that. But also, too, one of the benefits of an RESP, a registered registered education savings plan is there's the Canada Learning Bond and it can be up to $2,000 and a lot a lot of parents really know about it and this is for children born after uh, 2004
1: That's a great suggestion, Barb. We've been talking with Barb Wallach. She's got her own website. If you'd like more information, www.barbwallach.com. She's just got a ton of experience in the financial industry and and a whole bunch of different aspects. If any of this information resonates with you, check out her website, barbwallach.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scull, and along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. I love these segments. These are case studies that that Blair and I get to talk about. And uh, this is where I think it's so important for folks if they're listening because this is the kind of information that might really resonate with them and they go, oh! that's just like me or that's just like my sister mm-hmm. or whatever. So let's start. Before, uh, actually, before we get into the examples, can we talk a little bit about what you do at Sands & Associates and, and, and what a licensed insolvency trustee is?
3: Sure. So the best part of my job, Elaine, is as we're going to talk to you on these case studies, I meet with people and I understand their financial situation and I help them fix it. I help them move forward. If they've got too much debt, they've got no idea how they're going to pay something, how they're going to get back on track. As a licensed insolvency trustee, I've got the power of federal law behind me that I can stop all interest on debt and I can reduce it down to what people can afford. And that's called a consumer proposal. And that works. You know, Probably two thirds of people that come to see us, they opt for consumer proposals and they don't go into bank bankruptcy. The other thing I can help with is I can help with a personal bankruptcy. So if there's the wolves at the door, people are calling you like crazy, starting to seize your wages, and you can't even afford to pay back a third of the debt. It's so bad that a bankruptcy can give you the relief you need to restructure yourself and move forward. So when I got into this job, I, I didn't know if I'd like it so much because it sounds like, you know, you're going to hear bad news every day, but I find it so uplifting. Just about everybody I meet with, they've had a tough time. They're honest people and we're able to help them move forward with a better path.
1: And the cool thing about it, Sanson is so- They give you an opportunity to have a free consultation right off the bat, and that way you can go and see Blair and say, okay, this, 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 and this is my situation, and I'm concerned about this, or worried about that, or what about this, and uh, you'll sit down with these folks and help them.
3: Yeah, exactly, and even if it's a situation that we can't help with, you know, if the solution is not a bankruptcy or not a proposal, we'll still spend a lot of time, we'll give you as much information as we can. If it's just general questions about credit and debt, we're usually the best place you can come because we're unbiased. We're just officers of the court. We just know all the rules, but we don't have a horse in the game, so to speak, requiring you to pay back as much of your debt as possible or reduce it as much as possible. We just want fairness for everybody.
1: Excellent. Okay. So let's talk about one of these uh, unfortunate uh, life, real life situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, uh, in this, and in this case, a bankruptcy actually allowed for that financial fresh start. So yeah. not the consumer proposal, mm-hmm. but a bankruptcy. Let's talk about it.
3: Yeah. So this was a gentleman that came to see us in our Vancouver office. Um, and the way he described it is he was running a restaurant, which is always a dangerous thing. Oof. And I would agree with so that. So <laughs> appreciated
1: if it's good, but man, it's a tough business. Yeah.
3: And the margins are just so tight on a yeah. restaurant, you know, like a retail store. And you've seen so many retailers go bankrupt this year with tight margins. You have to do everything right to maybe be a couple percent positive. As soon as one thing goes wrong, you know, you can lose a lot of money very quickly. Yeah.
1: Increased rent or mm-hmm. lease or
3: whatever. Yeah. Or even just customer taste change. You know, who knows? Um, But for this gentleman, so he was married, uh, he was 72 years old, Mm -hmm. and his debts were about $125,000. So, you know, very significant. Um, And $25,000 of that was amounts owing for a business GST account. So he had to shut down the restaurant. Um, He was on the hook as a director of the corporation for government amounts that weren't paid. And GST was a big portion of that. Um, the thing that drove him out of business, exactly as you alluded to Elaine, was a rent increase. So I forget the exact percentage. Because I have people tell me this, you know, quite often. It's happening across the city here, Absolutely. but you know, sometimes it's a doubling of rent or a thirty or fifty percent increase, and you just can't absorb that. He had been in business for a lot of years, but you know, he basically said it sounded like the landlord just wanted to do something else with the space and was making it unaffordable for us.
1: Often that's a situation, isn't it? It's yeah. not so much they want you out, but they want. To do something different with that ever valuable land.
3: Yeah, and now when I sat down with him in the consultation, I always ask him, you know, "Well, what have you tried so far?" And you know, just seeing you know what what might work or what might not. And unfortunately, in this situation, you know, he's again honest as the day is long, a very good businessman, but he didn't quite understand that some of his assets were protected. So before he came to see me, he had cashed in. I think it was about twenty thousand dollars of his RRSP money. Mm. So he's you know again already seventy two years old, should be retired, and there and had some good retirement savings. But as he was trying, you know, not to have to come and see a trustee, he cashed in some RRSPs, which essentially did him no good.
1: And uh, explain explain yeah. that piece. Why isn't that a good idea?
3: Well, because RRSPs are federally protected. So if he had to file a bankruptcy, which is what he did, he would keep those RRSPs 100% at the end of it. So if he had $100,000 going in and he took nothing out, he'd have $100,000 going out. But if prior to the bankruptcy, again, trying to do the right thing, if he cashed in those RRSPs and used the money to pay debt, There's no way he's ever going to get that money back. It's gone.
1: It's almost counterintuitive for the really thoughtful, caring, trying to do the right thing person, isn't it?
3: Oh, it it is. And the challenge here is that you've got some discretion with an RRSP. When it's a company pension plan, you can't do anything. The company got it locked in there and you can't touch it until it's time. With an RRSP, the ability that you have to touch it can sometimes be too tempting. Um, But if you understand the broader context here, it's almost never a good idea to cash in your RRSPs. Got it.
1: So what was the uh, solution?
3: Yes, we looked at the situation. We saw there's $125,000 of debt, including a lot to the government. After the restaurant shut down, he was essentially just getting government pensions and minimal part time income. You know, his his income was under $2,000 a month. So he's below the low income guideline for for a family of two there. Um, So we'd spent a lot of time discussing at options again he didn't want to go into bankruptcy but it was really the right option at the end of the day Um, based on his income based on essentially a lack of assets and everything else that had went forward uh, he was done bankruptcy after nine months so not the six or seven years he said to me you know i spent more time dithering about the decision to come and see you guys (laughs) than i actually spent in bankruptcy and i said yeah that's a common thing a lot of people spend about two years worrying about it before they they come in and and take the first step he was in bankruptcy for nine months he paid two hundred dollars a month for those nine months, which is the minimum amount set by government. Uh, we helped him deal with all the government debt, all the other unsecured debts, and we helped him move forward excellent mm-hmm.
1: how about uh, another example of a, a real life situation uh this time involving a family because uh you know it's not just individuals or single people who get into pickles like this yeah. uh, especially in this day and age it's like whole families get affected
3: yeah exactly elaine and this this is a great example because this is someone who was a recent immigrant to canada and they came to canada because they had a great job their employer moved them here um, but unfortunately after a few years of arriving that job disappeared um and the, the father of the family, he had a period of a number of months of unemployment uh, where the family expenses were still continuing to tick up and he used credit to fill the gap, you know, as, as you would. If you don't have money in the bank for groceries, well, you're going to put the groceries on the credit card and well, try to deal month, with it, it's right? It's just for
1: this month. Exactly. And then next month, things will be different, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Now, when he came to see us, um, so he they were both in their mid-30s. Um, he had two children and an elderly family member as well, so supporting a bunch of people on the impact. Um, and he had already reestablished job at that point so they were bringing home a very good wage so for the two income earners and the three dependents it was about eight thousand dollars a month including child tax benefit and employment so still very good Um, but they had about eighty six thousand dollars of unsecured consumer debt so even at that income level he was struggling to make minimum payments and he knew it was going to be you know 50 years plus if he just makes the minimum payments to actually get out of that debt
1: Right and do we, and are we talking credit card debt of that eighty six thousand? That
3: was it, yeah. So it wasn't wow. tax debt. He was T four the whole time. It was essentially unsecured credit card debt.
1: And there's and there's another group of of folks on the planet who aren't very flexible in what they charge you on a monthly basis.
3: That's true. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a certain amount, a minimum, and that interest gets tacked on no matter what. Yeah, so, they yeah, tell can, you
1: what it is and and then they charge it to you. Yep. All righty.
3: So his solution, so he had $86,000 of debt, ridiculous amounts of minimum payments. Uh, we were able to split the debt between him and his spouse, and we helped each of them with consumer proposals. We were able to bring his payments down. Again, it was over two, dollars $3,000 a month for all of their debts, the minimum payments. His payments, we brought down to $415 a month. So no interest. He's paying back what he can afford at $415. And we brought his wife's payments down to $325 per month. So combined, they were just over 700 you know, 740 or so, which was about a third of what they were paying, and this has an end date. A proposal is done in five years unless they can pay it off sooner, where what they were doing before, they'd make these payments until until they couldn't make the payments anymore.
1: So that's, again, this these are two very real-life uh, case studies that Blair and his team at Sands & Associates have looked after and, and helped and got these folks uh, into a better place than they were before they walked in the door. If you like more information check out the website sans-trustee.com it's a terrific website there's so much information lots of frequently asked questions uh, that may cover some of your questions or the phone number it's a 1-800 number six six one thirty thirty 3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you.
0: been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app. Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD 2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.